0: Hello, I am Jay Jacob Barker. Jay is just fine and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Today, I'd like to welcome back one of my favorite people to talk to as I've come to slowly start calling them, like, the Tony Stark of comics, which, I don't know, take that as how you will. <laughs> I know you hate it, but it always just brings me back to the the, the first time I met you at the Creator Aftercon Network. Um, this is going back, what, two years now. It was just this great conversation with you, you know, Blazer, you had the drink, and you just were, like, this great conversationalist, and I was just like, holy shit, you remind me of somebody. And I think it kind of bugs you, but I meant it, and I'm going to stick with it, because you just <laughs> have this great way of just working a floor that I almost envy, if I can say it that way.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, m- much like Tony. St- Uh, nobody loves the sound of their own voice more than I do.
1: (laughs) But let's see, you know, you are a comic book writer, and um, you've been on the show once before, back, I believe it was episode 44, entitled Defying Gravity, uh, which we were discussing your book, at a Time, Gravity Matters, which is written by you. Let's see, art by Sean Dillon, who some of you may know from his work on Sweetie. A letter by a friend of the show, Erica Schultz, who's also been on. She's uh, worked on books like M3 and Charmed. And, um, actually, oh, Christopher White, uh, who does this book, The 36, who was your editor. And it was like this really great, like all-star cast of, uh, creators working on this great yeah. book. Since then, though, I mean, you've been putting out a bunch of awesome stuff. Um, you actually just did a follow-up of Gravity Matters. Entitled Gravity Matters, Black Line, uh, Major Holmes and Captain Watson, and um, something you just recently released, which I really can't wait to talk to you about, the Demon versus Ten Angels, which um, hopefully you will be able to tell us more about. But please welcome back Jeff Ryder. Jeff, how's it going, buddy?
2: It's going well, Adrian. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's been a crazy couple of days, but in a way, like I'm so glad to be doing this today because after everything that's been going on, It is nice to kind of sit down, have a discussion, and just kind of enjoy the art of conversation. And also get to catch up with you, because like I said, it's always a great time chatting with you, so any opportunity to do so, I'm glad.
2: Thanks for having me. Anytime!
1: Before we get into The Demon, I don't know if you want to go back a little bit to Gravity Matters, because that's still, like, honestly one of my favorite comics I've read, and it's so much fun. So I don't know if you want to do, like, at least a quick little spiel for those of you who may not have heard him on the first episode you were on.
2: Yeah, uh, Gravity Matters was a science fiction short story that I did. It's a lot of fun. I like to think of it as uh, a sci-fi version of disaster fiction, like The Towering Inferno or, or Prometheus. Not Prometheus. What's the one? The uh, Psyden Adventure. Um, it's a story about a young girl who works in a factory uh, in the future on sort of a destroyed, polluted earth where they make the tiny pieces of spaceships that make uh, artificial gravity and uh, all the sort of pitfalls and trouble that you get into when the tiny bits of fake gravity suddenly stop working or working in ways they're not supposed to, and uh, the big gravity reactor breaks down. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of uh, escapes from harrowing situations. And at the core, it's a a fun story about uh, two sisters um, who both work in this factory, and one sister is sort of attempting to save the other, and how they kind of have to come together to get out by the end of the thing. And it was great. It was a lot of fun to write, largely because I have two teenage girls myself, and so I can just sort of... Uh, steal their dialogue and listen to them talk to each other and make jokes and uh, write, write write large portions of them into the characters. Uh, <laughs> when we're the story. Which, in a lot of ways, is what led to the second story that ended up in the book.
1: That's, of course, where uh, Black Line comes into play.
2: Yes. When I wrote the first one, the idea was there was some fun science involved. I'm sort of a sucker for science fiction that's born out of real science. And the original story was kind of based on the idea that, that artificial gravity is actually a super hard problem to solve. And there was this sort of weird speculation that I'd been reading, and kind of a fringe science thing. When I was trying to come up with an idea for a second story, I wanted to come up with a different kind of quirky science that we could break and write narratives around. Because uh, what happened was, when I wrote the first story, the two characters, uh, the sisters Amy and Victoria Pill, who are the main characters in the story, are uh, the the first story is largely focused on Amy, and she is to a large extent based on my youngest daughter Vivian, and then. The older character was, to a certain degree based on her sister, or sometimes the way Vivian kind of perceives her older sister. um they eventually become characters of their own, which is what you want when you're writing stories. When the story came out, and my kids saw it, they were like, "Well, how come she got a story?" And I didn't <laughs> and, so, well, and I said, "Well, cause it's not you, and it's not her. These are fictional people." But uh, I could see where, you know, one of them would be a little upset that they weren't necessarily the focus of the story. So when we wrote Gravity Matters Black Line, which was intended to be a sequel uh, to the original, what I wanted to do was tell a different kind of sci-fi twist story, but focus on the opposite sister. So in the second story, while Victoria was a supporting character in the first story, she's the main character in the second story. It's still about the relationship of the two sisters and one sister attempting to save the other. Um, Whereas in the first one, it was a disaster fiction, like a scenario that was breaking down. In the second story, we made it sort of a sci-fi riff on zombie fiction. Oh, cool. Yeah, we took a, uh, a funky actual sci-fi idea, the idea that uh, in super colliders, there's the theoretical possibility to generate micro-sized black holes and draw energy from them, um, which sounds insane. And why would you try that? That sounds crazy dangerous and wacky. And um, in our story, the idea was if you don't do it exactly right and you get the math even the tiniest bit wrong, um... The weird black hole can suck you into a strange energy dimension and leave behind like an energy zombie version of you that would wander around and try to suck everyone else back into the energy zombie dimension. So we had sort of a strange set of uh, black hole energy zombies wandering around, sucking people into alternative dimensions for a while.
0: Well, that sounds fun. (laughs) It was
2: dark and weird. And when we did it, Sean had a really fun idea about how to illustrate the zombie representations with this sort of interesting digital static in the background. And the visuals came out amazingly great. And when he first started talking about it, He and I were actually at one of the creator Aftercon meetups, the networking group thing that we talk about. And, um, he's like, Oh, I've got this cool idea to do this like sort of black digital energy zombie where they would look like walking static. Like you would see on TV back in the day. I was like, Oh, that'd be so much fun. Now I have to write a whole story about static zombies. And and it, and it works out really great because my other kid is sitting in the house going, "When am I going to get my story? What the heck, man?" <laughs> so. so
1: it's just constant play where it seems like every time you write a story, one of the sisters is going to ask, "Well, how come I don't get my version of that?" So, yeah. in other words, if you think about it, though, like gravity matters will pretty much end up being an ongoing if it continues at this rate, which I'm not in complaining about in the least bit.
2: I mean, there would be a finite in that. It eventually, my kids are hopefully going to move out of my house. Uh, <laughs> until that happens, there's 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 never ending. Uh, story material for sure the things they say to her to each other are, are the funniest television show my wife and i watch ever
0: <laughs> yeah it sounds about right <laughs>
1: hey you never know where your muse is gonna come from so you know That's what
0: right. <laughs> it sounds like my daughters <laughs> they probably get along really great
2: <laughs> ours get along uh less than great most of the time but our oldest is actually uh home for the summer from college and the reintegration of the two of them has been difficult and so uh there's going to be some interesting uh, conversations about that and what might be the next gravity matter story if we if we come up with another one <laughs>
1: nice i would like to think so because like i said i really enjoyed that story a lot and i liked how you approached the idea of doing a follow up where you know it was it's its own story but you know it kind of expanded on its universe you university bill but it was its own beast, but like kind of like I said, like two sides of the same coin. And it was a really interesting way to do a follow up. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just greedy, but any more of that I can get, I'd gladly welcome.
2: Well, I we enjoyed making it for sure. Uh, it's really neat because, like I said, like you sort of pointed out, the stories themselves, the two individual narratives are, are very different. But the continuing arc of the sisters and their developing relationship between two of them, to me, that feels like the connective tissue. And, and, my kids aren't going anywhere. And so that, you know, and and Amy and Victoria aren't going anywhere either they're they're kids in their own way in my head. And so uh, it, it'll be fun to get back to those two and and see kind of as they grow up how their lives go on
1: <laughs> right. The demon versus ten angels, which, the title alone, you're like, well, holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, good sir. That was you're... an evil
0: laugh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you know, he's wringing his hands right now. I've seen this man in action. I know how this goes. Although this is his story. <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> so the Demon versus Ten Angels is actually something that I, I wanted to work on for a long time. It's a crime noir thriller. Very real world. Very gritty. It's a short comic. It's, again, it's another 12 page uh, thing with uh, black and white art by an artist named Tebow Royster, who lives in San Diego, who's just awesome. And I, I met him at one of the creator Aftercon events at San Diego comic-con two years ago. And I'd had this story kicking around in my head for a while. And he was just the right guy to do it. He's got a very realistic, gritty sort of urban street style. He'd been doing a, a really cool book about prison gangs or about street gangs for a while. And this story is eventually going to be about prison gangs, although none of that actually appears in our in our story. The Demon versus Ten Angels is about a crooked cop uh, named Lincoln Lowry who's known as the demon on the streets. And he has been taking hit jobs and, and doing robberies and various things because he he lives in a corrupt city where all the cops are dirty as heck. And um, he goes up against a gun runner from the Italian mafia, a guy named Tommy Ten Angels. And the twist of the story is that Lincoln is very much not what you think he is. And um, the levels of corruption in the police force are deeply layered all the way back into the prison. There are a lot of dirty cops who are in prison um, who sort of run their own prison gang. And, and essentially Lincoln is trying to get in with those cops and, and his reasons and motivations without blowing the whole story are, are kind of the driving force of the Demon versus Ten Angels uh, short. The idea is that it sets up a much larger uh, graphic novel linked book that Adiba and I want to do.
1: <laughs> see, I'm already hooked, though, because I'm always a sucker for cop dramas. I guess it just kind of runs into family. Mm. <laughs> though I'm sure my dad's probably like, you know, we're not all crooked. But it's like, look, this is fiction. This is different. <laughs>
0: I don't know. It's Jersey. <laughs> hey, see? <laughs> see? All right, fine. I'll claim it for New York. <laughs> no, no, no. You, already, you said what you meant.
1: <laughs> it always goes back down to Jersey. But I mean, it is But <laughs> Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> But still, I'm always a sucker for a, a good, you know, noir story. And um, actually, matter of fact, just recently we had uh, David Pippo's on who did uh, Spencer and Locke. And that story I ate up because it was cool to see that world kind of done, you know, with classic comic strip characters. So I always like the fact that now it's sort of kind of become in vogue again a little bit to do crime noir. And I don't know, like I said, I'm a huge sucker for it. So I'm really excited to uh read that one as well.
2: And we're dealing with a lot of real world political issues when it comes to, uh, you know, trust in the police force and and people in the, in the U.S. these days looking at, at law enforcement as a whole from, you know, scary things in the actual Justice Department at the high levels down to, you know, every, every community policing. And, and it, it was something that was a little bit in my head. I mean, there was an action adventure story in my head to begin with. Uh, there, there's the fun idea that um, there, there'd be a crooked cop on the streets who's not really what you think he is.
1: So I'd imagine it'd be kind of challenging to tell a story like that because you don't necessarily want to glorify a story where, you know, people on the force may be crooked.
2: Well, and it, it, it's a fun story to write because if it, it's a story about good cops and bad cops in the same way that there are good people and bad people. Right. And the idea is to look at motivations behind why people do horrible things and not necessarily that people are horrible because they do horrible things. Which is very much wrapped up in in the character, uh, the main character of the story. Lincoln Lowry is a dirty cop by reputation. The truth of the story, and this isn't given away a whole heck of a lot, is that Lincoln's a cop in the streets, posing undercover as a dirty cop to get next to other dirty cops. It's tormenting for him. It's difficult for him. He wants to be a good cop who leads by example, and he wants to be a good cop who makes the city better. But he either is convinced or has been convinced by the people he works with that his city is so dirty that fighting fire with fire is the only way to solve the problem. And, and he's concerned and in every moment that he's doing it, that he's making things worse rather than better. It's very much a, a a morality tale that we want to explore. When you look at sort of hyperviolent characters and gritty things in comics, you know, things like the Punisher, those characters tend to be very driven and determined that this is the way to do things. I'm going to solve this problem by punching and blasting and blowing things up. And, um, Sort of the fun thing that we want to explore in this story is the idea that maybe that's not always the right way to solve a problem, even if that's the only options that are available to us. And and it, imagine if the Punisher was conflicted by what he was doing. Like, how much more fun <laughs> would that? <be? laughs>
1: yeah, and that happens so much. I mean, heck, I, I actually had a discussion with another guest a while back about Batman and how much, if you you know, if you think about it, yes, he is trying to save Gotham City, but. You know, there's the argument that by constantly going out of his way to stop criminals and even at the times the way he does, he almost makes it worse because for every attempt that he makes to stop it, it almost escalates because then the criminal element then decides, well, you know what? The quote unquote good guys are stepping up their game to this level. So now we have to up the ante and do it, our, you know, and then kind of yeah. escalate, and do it their way. So then really it just kind of goes back and forth where is there a right or is there a wrong way?
2: Which is the fun part of writing a story like this it's set in a, in a more real-world setting as opposed to a superhero idea. Like it, it's kind of an accepted idea in the superhero genre that we punch our way out of problems. But in the real world, that's not how things work. And in, in even the hyper-violent world of like crime noir drama where people are constantly pulling guns on each other and blowing things up and, and uh, you know, eventually getting into prison gang fights and crazy stuff. Like, while that is a thing that actually exists in the real world, it's, it's not always the right answer. In fact, it's almost never the right answer. Deep morality tale in the midst of uh, fast car chases and lots of guns. <laughs> Sold.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what really was like the true inspiration as to you know why you wanted to tell the story?
2: It's interesting. I think all of my work and a lot of my stories are informed by things I've read in the past, other ideas. Some of the original impetus for the idea came from the original uh, novel version of The Born Identity, which is one of my favorite books. But it's a very dated 70s period piece of spy fiction now. doesn't really function in the real world. And that story, which is very different than the Matt Damon movie that a lot of people know, is about a CAA spy who went undercover as a bad guy to draw out another bad guy. And then in the midst of his mission, was injured and lost his memory. And when he woke up, because he's undercover, all the evidence points to him being a bad guy. But he feels like a good guy. And so he's the more he learns about who he is, the more conflicted he feels, because he feels internally like he's a good person, but all the evidence makes him look like a bad person until he indes- undiscovers the layers underneath layers. So some of that idea of, of morality and layers of morality and looking like a bad guy, but actually being a good guy, were, were some of the impetus for, in a more modern setting, something that I wanted to tell. But to be perfectly honest, and this is my favorite part about making comics, um, that was just a, a vague general idea and kind of an outline and not really much of a story. Until I met Atiba, Atiba's work, like a lot of artists that I met, once I started flipping through his portfolio, I kept seeing faces from my story in his sketchbook. I kept seeing like this is what Lincoln looks like, and this is what Frank Crick looks like, who's the bad guy, and this is the Russian gangster who's in the the early part of the story, and this is the crooked cop here, and this is the guy who like I just kept finding my characters in Atiba's book, and uh, either in the book that he'd done before uh, or in his in his sketchbook. And that's one of my favorite things when you're, when you're flipping through stuff and you find, uh, you know, parts of your story somewhere you didn't expect them or motivations for your story in the artist's work. Because we don't make comics in a vacuum. I can't draw two stick figures that look together. <laughs> 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 yeah. they, you, nobody would know which stick figure was which because they're never the same. But uh, you know, when you, when you see an artist and their art really inspires you to take this story idea, this nugget of an idea and really grow it into something else. Uh, that's kind of my favorite thing. And, and it, he, it's, it's not the first time I've happened, but it was the first time it happened with Atiba. And I said, you know, I have this thing. I I would love to give it to you. You should read it. And it, it blossomed much more accidentally than I expected from there.
0: Happy accidents.
2: It's a, a sort of extremely strange happy accident. Atiba had been doing a book called Rule the Streets, which you can find on com. It's a really great book. It's very, very gritty gang warfare. You know, L.A. Street Gangs kind of a book, and um, really enjoyable. But w- he had been working on that, and when I pitched him the story idea, he said, "Yeah, that sounds really cool. I, w- I would kind of be interested in working on that. That'd be fun. Send me the script, and, and I'll think about it." I said, "Okay, cool." So I, I went home and I polished up a version of the script that a little bit, you know, lent itself to some of his strengths. After looking at his portfolio and talking to him at the convention, I thought, you know, I should throw a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Um, I talked to a, an editor named Noah Sharma who does some uh, story editing. That, that I also met at New York Comic-Con and he helped me polish the script up a little bit. And then I sent it to Ativa and he says, cool, this is really cool. I like it. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit busy and schedules are what they are. And it's a very common thing that you meet, you know, everybody in comics is working on 15 things at once. Right, exactly. And so, and so he says, you know, let me, let me, let me stew on this. And, and maybe in October uh, I'll have some free time. And I was like, that's cool. You know, made a connection and he made my story a little bit better and, and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, maybe what happened. And then October came, and I kind of didn't hear much from him. And November came, and I kind of didn't hear much from him. And I wasn't too worried about it. And I had a few irons in the fire myself. And then he sent me an email, and he said, I might have something pretty cool for you soon. And I was like, sweet. Maybe there'll be, like, an opening in a TBA schedule. And maybe he's, he and I can start working on this. And then about a week later, he sent me all the pages. Oh. It was done. He said, hey, Holy by shit. the way, here they are. Bang. And I was like, wow. Um, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow, like, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, like, out of nowhere, suddenly, you know, this creator-owned project that we were just sort of thinking about doing, or maybe he, he'd he been working on it a lot harder than I thought he had for a while, and uh, it just showed up almost fully formed, which was great. Like, we we made some notes, but, man, it was gorgeous. Like, it looked a, a lot like how I imagined it, and some of the conversations we'd had, he'd really been sort of taking them to heart and, and kind of gone nuts with them, and suddenly there they were. And maybe I was supposed to have known that he'd been working on it all along. And I just missed that part somewhere. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But it it's a pretty cool day when somebody says, hey, I might have something for you. And then you open up your email inbox. And there is a comic that you ripped, just sitting there nearly fully formed, ready to go. So that's that awesome. was a cool day. That's that awesome. A
1: cool day. It really is. And that's the beauty of, you know, something that we always talk about in this show. And I feel like you know, skipping record at times, but we can't stress enough, you know, the importance of making those connections And, you know, meeting those people and finding that person, not only just for the sake of comics, but just even, you know, personal relationships, you know, finding that person that, you know, you click with and you're able to create with. And like I said, they're your vision, like you're right there with each other. Like, you know what? The You speak
0: your language. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because you said to yourself, you already saw the characters before he was even drawing them for you specifically.
0: Yeah.
2: There were just things in his book when I saw him that that made me think this is the guy who needs to work on this story. And... There were things I was seeking out intentionally, like, you know, not to be super blunt about it, but this is a, a story about white men and black men in prison, and I'm a straight, white, upper-middle-class dude. Like, I have never been to prison, and, and I don't understand. You sure? Uh, well, not than not a night or two at a time. Um, jail and prison are very different things. Um, very true. <laughs> uh, anyway um <laughs> before we go too far down that road and, and, and it's not that i went and sought out an artist who had done time like that's not what i'm to anyway but um i wanted somebody with different cultural experiences than i do because the book is going to be about a lot of culture experiences that are not mine crime fiction is what it is and we all understand you know sort of the bones of what organized crime stories are like right but if we we're going to do a story about a black cop in prison fighting against a bunch of white cops in prison and what the prison population looks like and how the people around them are affected by that, I don't want the book to be written by a bunch of white dudes because the prison issues that we're trying to talk about and, and the incarceration epidemic in this country that, that we're going to try to address a little bit in this story is not solely my experience. Uh, it, it's not necessarily solely Tiva's experience. Again, like I said, I'm, I'm, as far as I know, Ativa's not done time. But <laughs> Ativa's an African-American man, and his community is much more affected by this than my community is. And having his input on that story is super valuable because he's got some skin in the game when it comes to that. He's you know, an African American man who's affected by the problems in this country that are on some levels this book is going to talk about. It's it's not a great big preachy book. It's going to be a lot of action adventure and a lot of fun. But you can't tell a story about black men in prison without shining at least some light on that. And it's not something that I might necessarily be able to do by myself.
0: Yeah, bring some authenticity to it. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And 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 it brings cultural experiences and things and just generally, artistic experiences that I'm not a part of. I don't it, it, I'm perfectly happy to make comics with people who look like me, but I also like making comics with people who are different than I do, who have different experiences than I do because the point of collaborating on art is to bring things in that I don't already have and to put things on the table that that aren't part necessarily mine because I don't want to just make things for other people. I want to make things for me too, and I want to learn from the experience and grow. as an artist, that's sort of the point. Soapbox
0: done. (laughs) No, but that's awesome, you know, because at at least, you know, you kind of own that there's more than one voice out there and there's more than one kind of person listening, you know, so it's cool that there's comics for everybody. And you always put out something where everybody can find somebody like them or something they can relate to in any one of your works. So that's really awesome. Also, having the
1: foresight and the ability to say, you know what, I want to tell the story. But it's nice when a creator is willing to actually take a step back and let somebody else help tell that story. Because, you know, as a creator, I'd imagine, you know, you want, of course, you want to put yourself into it as much as possible. But also allowing the rest of your creative team to have at least the same be like, all right, you know, I want to tell the story, but I also may not be the...
0: respecting the culture that he's speaking about.
1: Right, exactly. Because not everybody does that.
2: No.
0: Well, yeah. And it's an ongoing conversation
2: in comics that a lot of people talk about. It was even a concern that we had when we wrote Gravity Matters. Like, I'm a white dude writing about two young women in that comic who aren't necessarily specifically white, but, I mean, they both have purple hair and broad skin because it's the future and and who knows what people look like four or five hundred years from now. But in that comic, we addressed the idea that sexuality can be fluid and people who are not necessarily the, the standard binary garbage that you see all the time. Um, we introduced it, a trans character in, in the second Gravity Matters story who's a supporting character in the book. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about Creators from marginalized communities having the chance to tell their own stories in comics rather than straight white dudes telling everybody's story over and over again like we know what we're talking about because we don't all the time. That it, it doesn't initially mean that creators who look like me can't tell stories about people that are different than them. And I'm not afraid to, to try and do it. But when I do it, I want to be able to communicate with other creators and other people who are like that or in some way different than me so that it, I, there's not only one voice in the book. No piece of collaborative art should be the voice of only one person.
1: Which is so funny to say that. Um, Eileen and I, um, just earlier while we were making dinner, we had that very same conversation about if you're, you know, from a certain background, if you're maybe unsure how to necessarily write for a particular voice, you know, do your homework, so to speak. You know, get to know people from, you know, like I said, if you're writing about a particular group of people. You know, try to learn as much as you can, you know, doing research. And not just for the sake of, like, observing them like an exhibit, but also just speaking to them and getting to know their perspectives. Because, like you said, yeah, you may not be from that background, but it takes a certain amount of character to then go and actually make sure they can, you know, speak with as much,
0: I guess, like you said, authenticity. Yeah. Because it's easy to fall into those usual tropes that everybody... Kind of, you know, puts everybody into, you know, yeah. those same boxes and you still work with those same boxes and it's easy to work with those boxes, but it takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more foresight, a little bit more, you know, awareness to kind of be like, you know what, I'm going to research this or I'm going to talk to somebody else and really get what it is, you know, those nuances to an experience that, yes, okay, everybody knows, you know, black kid in the hood, but really what are the nuances of that and how would that really happen? you know, as an example, as someone who
2: is writing about something that's outside of his own experience, I don't want to inadvertently make the problem worse rather than better. Right. And if if I have the opportunity to be curious about something that's different than me and learn and grow, even if it's just for me you know, if 12 people read Demon vs. Ten Angels, which again is just an action-adventure story, (laughs) um, uh, you know, uh, that's great because I got something out of of writing it and my writing got better and my story ideas got better because I got to work with somebody who's just got a little bit of a different perspective than I do.
1: That's the one beauty of you know, getting to know creators as you do, you really get to follow along their progress and see how they're doing it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm sure it's kind of scary because you're like, oh, my God, you've been watching me this whole time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't know me like that. <laughs> you know, it's like...
1: You know, you know, it's like, great. Now we just sound like a bunch of, like, creepy voices. Yeah, you know, wow.
0: and, I, and I knew, like, for me, for somebody who's fairly new to the whole comic book game, as it were, I didn't grow up, you know, reading a lot of comics, per se. But, I mean, when I saw Gravity Matters, I was like, oh, cool, brown girls in space. That's awesome. <laughs> and the colors were gorgeous, and the story was just really cool, and the way the girls weren't as usual, you know, princess in distress BS and all that. And it was just kind of like... I loved that book. And it's like, it's the kind of book, I mean, I got to look back. There was no language in that book, was there? No. I don't remember. But that's the kind of book I would let my, I want my daughter to see. And be like, look at that. That could be you, you know. And and she's very much embraces like, you know, I'm a girly girl. But if I want to dress up like Spider-Man today or Batman today, and I want to be a princess, but I'm going to be a ninja princess, then that's totally fine, too. And she'll totally do that. That's the kind of stories. I love that. You know, especially like with my daughter in mine. Yeah, totally. I'm all over that. So th- I loved that book and I can't wait well, to you. read the second one, you know, and, and thank you, you know, on behalf of all of us little brown girls.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got to write the second one and get Sean to draw the second one. But yes, actually, it was funny because I ran into Erica. You guys were talking about Erica Schultz earlier. She did lettering on Gravity Matters, but she also did some story editing. It's kind of a fun story. I, I, I met her once or twice at Comic-Con through either the Creator Connection or just on the show floor in New York. And uh, she and Christopher White, who you talked about before, I've never met him in real life, but they were working on the Rise Against Bullying uh, comic anthology, which was on Kickstarter about two or three years ago. They were both doing editing work for that. And one of the Kickstarter rewards that you could get for contributing money to the to the book was to have two editors on the team look at your writing project. Oh, cool. And. Uh, yeah, it was one of my favorite Kickstarter rewards ever. I I jumped right on it back. I was going to back the book anyway, because it's something that I'm interested in having, you know, kids of that age, uh, you know, kids who are in school and dealing with bullying or whatever. I I wanted to have, make sure that that book got made, but, uh, I got a chance to let Erica and Christopher look at, at two of my stories and gravity matters was one of them. Christopher did most of the heavy lifting on that one. And then there's another story that's a secret project that's finally coming to light, uh, very soon that Erica did some story editing for as well. But it was a situation where, again, I'm a dude writing a story about two young girls. The artist is a dude. When it came time to have a letterer, I wanted to reach out to a a woman who would understand the voice of two young ladies speaking to each other. And once or twice Erica said to me, like, would these two girls say this kind of a thing? And I would say, maybe they wouldn't. Or, yes, my my kids totally said that to each other yesterday. Or, Or, you know, whatever. Um, but it was nice to have to have a female voice in the book when it's a, a story about two ladies. And then she was the person who this year at San Diego was asking me, hey, when's there going to be some more gravity matters? That's nice to run into one of your collaborators who you haven't seen in a while. He's like, when are we making some more of this thing? It makes me want to make more of the thing.
0: And you should actually listen to Erica when she says
1: something. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because if she's behind it, because, you know, I hope Erica doesn't mind us saying this, but, you know, she's not going to trifle with something if she doesn't believe in it. So Mm -hmm. if she's asking about more Gravity Matters and wants to collaborate with you, then it's like that's totally uh, a good thing that, you know, someone is as excited about a project as, you know, you are. And what more can you ask for?
2: I'm hoping she meant that and. As if to say, when are we making Smart Gravity Matters and not just, hey, are we ever going to make that book again or whatever? I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't seem like Erica. That doesn't seem like the Erica that we know. Um, and she would tell you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would. She doesn't pull punches. Uh, no, nope. Steve Petrovelli, who's been on the podcast a bunch of times, Steve and I have uh, have joked about uh, Erica being our comics big sister. And uh, she likes to push us around and bully us a little bit to make sure that we're staying on the straight and narrow. and. She doesn't like that idea because she's actually younger than me. But uh.
0: but it sounds right. It feels right. But but it's the
2: attitude, that big sister (laughs) attitude, that she's always sort of poking you and making sure you're staying on the straight and narrow. And uh, Erica's one of my favorite people, for sure.
1: But you need that kick in the ass every so often. I mean, I even need that kick in your ass. I'm constantly getting that kick in the ass because, you know, as much as you think, you know, someone, usually the lady in your life knows more than you.
2: (laughs) Ah, uh, for the record, we're recording this on my actual sixth wedding anniversary, and my wife's not in the room. But what you just said is totally true. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! <laughs> yes. Oh my god, she let you record today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's
2: she's in there in the other room. We're going out later.
0: Oh, wait, cool. oh okay. Well, well, we're well, on West
2: yeah. Coast time. I'm behind you guys. Remember, we
0: still. Oh got... yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that's time. right.
1: I keep. You know what. There's no West Coast. You know what? I'm gonna be on the record to say there's no West Coast. It doesn't a- exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fabrication.
0: Well, the way things are going with the weather, isn't gonna be no East Coast either. <laughs> Not the
1: coast at all. We're gonna be underwater. Oh boy! Oh, but man. we'd be remiss if we didn't, of course, mention Crater Aftercon and you know things that I elk and sort of the importance of them. Which, matter of fact, will be hot on the heels of the next Crater Aftercon. Uh, it's the Friday and Saturday of New York Comic Con.
2: Correct? It's Friday and Saturday this year. That's correct. Yeah. Creator AfterCon actually is growing like a weed, which is really good. That's what network should do, is grow and get bigger. It was originally founded by a bunch of folks that you guys know and a bunch of folks who've been on this podcast. Uh, J. Jacob Barker and Stan Chow and Steve Petrovelli. And then they brought in some guys like myself and Johnny C and some different folks. And we have been doing these after parties uh, at the convention so that indie creators who usually meet up during some of the panels uh, on the show floor and whatever have a chance to kind of spend some personal time and get to know each other. And it's been happening at New York Comic Con for the last three years now, two, three years at least. Yeah. And um, thankfully, we've been growing it outside of New York Comic Con, which has been a lot of fun. So Johnny and Mr. J Barker and myself hosted two after parties for the Creator Connection panels that Buddy Scalera runs at C2E2 in Chicago this year and met a bunch of cool new creators and sort of added them to our network and by extension everybody else's. And then Johnny and I did the same thing at San Diego Comic-Con this year and had two sort of uh, hotel bar parties where we met a bunch of new creator folks and added some more people to the pile. And then Johnny came from Boston to San Francisco to hang out with me at San Francisco Comic-Con last weekend. And we did not only the after parties, but Johnny and I hosted the creator or what we were calling collaborator connection, the panels themselves at San Francisco Comic-Con where we had indie creators who were looking for a writer or an artist or a letter or someone else. In the collaborative process that they don't already know uh, to meet up with, so we had, uh, you know, a dozen or so artists and writers who brought in their portfolios and their ideas, and hung out for about two hours at the San Francisco Convention, meeting each other and trading things back and forth. And then, uh, as as is our tradition, in the evening, we all picked a bar across the street from the Convention Center and went and hung out and, <laughs> uh, and had a beverage or two, and and sort of got to make those those moments better because a lot of times at the conventions, and a lot of us have talked about this before, like. At comic-con especially new york comic-con in san diego they're so big they're so monstrous there's so much going on you'll meet an artist that you might want to work with or a writer you might want to work with or a cool letterer that you want to have be a part of your project and you get five or ten minutes to talk to them before you're swept up in the sea of everything else that's going on and you come home with a big pile of business cards in your pocket and you don't always remember everybody right because it's just a it's just a, a sprint and a marathon at the same time and it's it, it's exhausting so when Jay and Steve and Stan originally came up with the Creator AfterCon Network and the idea that we should take some of these, these brief convention meetups and try to make them into longer, more personal connections, it was just something that really spoke to me. And and it's it's been one of, if not the most valuable tool I've had as an indie creator and, and meeting other folks and and really growing my network and, and finding new people to work with. So it's it's pretty fantastic and I'm excited that that we've been able to to grow it and, and make it bigger. Right.
1: And talking about you and Ativa and making these connections, but, you know, if people don't have it, a way to do that, because like you said, at a Comic-Con, you're right. You meet so many people at any given moment. You're grabbing business cards, shaking hands, but then, you know, you don't really... It's almost like speed dating in a way. You <laughs> know, mm-hmm. you get a very small amount of time to kind of make an impact. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you hit it off right away. But sometimes it's like, you know what? Dang, if I only had like a couple more minutes to pick this person's brain... Elevator pictures are always good. But then, like you said, with the, you know, going to, you know, maybe an outside establishment, you know, anytime there's food and beverages, it's like, you know what? Nice, relaxed environment. And yeah. it's, in a lot of ways, I feel that's also great for creators because I know for myself, as much as I love Comic-Con, socially, it could be draining. It could be exhausting. So then it's mm-hmm. like, it's so much more relaxed than be able to sit down one-on-one or, you know, with a couple of people in a place where you're not worried about, like, You know, people bumping into you or getting, like, clotheslined by that really cool Optimus Prime cosplayer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No disrespect, cosplayers are awesome. But I just love that, and I'm glad that it, it is growing, and I'm glad that, you know, the people involved are involved because it really takes a great core group of people to continue the work. And, you know, we've talked to Jay, and we've talked to Johnny and Steve, and, you know, Stan even himself, and... That's something that amongst us, you know, we've been talking so much about are making those connections and meeting new people and trying to find ways to bring in people that may not even be at San Diego or New York. Like I said, just San Francisco and, you know, maybe even up towards Boston or whoever else. And I I love that even with the lesser, I shouldn't say lesser known because that sounds disrespectful, but I mean like, you know, not like the major comic cons. Like, you know, Mm. there's still a presence there so people can then, they don't feel like, okay, just because they're not at San Diego, they're not missing out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the reasons that I think uh, the the sort of I think of it as an experiment. The two the two panels and the parties that we just hosted at San Francisco Comic Con, which are like only two weeks ago, it's a smaller con by a wide margin than San Diego and New York. But for years, like I said, the these the panels that happen at the convention, the networking, the creator connection panels uh, that are run by Buddy Scalera on the East Coast and by a gentleman named Doug Math out here on the West Coast, those panels only existed. As far as I could tell, at four Comic-Cons, C2E2, New York Comic-Con, San Diego, and San Diego's little sister con, which is called WonderCon, out here in Anaheim. And even WonderCon is 25,000 people. It's insanely huge. Yeah, it's really blown up. But if you live in Reno or Utah or Boston or somewhere where you don't have necessarily the resources or the the opportunity to take three or four days off and go to New York or go to San Diego for the big monster conventions, and you're a little small indie creator – like the question that you get all the time is how do I meet other people to work with? How do I find artists to work on my stuff? If I'm an artist, how do I find writers that that want to you know, hire me to do things and whatever? It'd be really cool if this network we built and these sort of events that we put together happened at conventions that weren't the big monsters because not everybody can make it to the big monsters. And this invaluable tool should be something that's available to as many creators as possible. And we have the internet and we have Facebook and we have those things and those are great. But think about it this way. If you were trying to make plans to go to a convention and you were looking at all the conventions that are around you and what they're offering, and you're an indie creator and you, ought, you saw on the schedule for one convention, hey, there's going to be a panel during the day and then an after party at night where you're going to get a chance to directly meet people who want to work with you, who are on your level, who are indie creators like you. And then the other convention had you know, the fifth How to Break into Comics, the Marvel Way panel that happens at every convention across the country and you only have finite resources to travel or go to one con or the other, or you can only get one weekend off or whatever, which one do you get to pick? Right. Because networking is hard. God damn, is it hard? <laughs> it is. It's a really difficult skill. And for a lot of people who make comics who don't love the sound of their own voice as much as I do, <laughs> putting yourself out there can be hard as an artist. Putting yourself out there is always difficult and it's hard enough to put a lot of your emotional energy and a lot of your, your stuff into your work itself. To then have to go out there and constantly represent yourself can be really difficult. It's a part of the game and it's a part of the business you need to learn to do and, and networking is a skill that everybody needs to have. So these more casual environments where we can all become friends and, and build this personal network as well as a professional one are, are a really good way to to grow that for people and to to kind of learn those skills from the from the ground up. And and like I said, if if I was looking at a convention schedule and then I knew, wow, this is a meetup and this one doesn't, well which one am I going to go to? I'm going to go to the one that's got the, the programming that I need. And so We're going to do what we can to spread it around. That's my pitch.
0: That's awesome. And what I love about the Aftercon events, too, is, you know, like you said before, like, you know, doing it during the convention is kind of really kind of quick. You got to put your professional face on and all of that and kind of do your quick pitch. What's nice about the Aftercon events is that you kind of get to really meet people on their level, get to really meet the personalities. Uh, You know, it's kind of like the difference between. You know, talking to your friend at work and then talking at like, you know, the business Christmas party, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, but at least, you you know, you get to know the personalities and realize, okay, like I write and maybe on paper, he looks really good. But as you get to know him, you realize, okay, maybe we're not going to really click on this project as well as we thought because of you know different work ethics or personalities or what have you or maybe be like all right you know the portfolio is decent you're not sure how you feel either way but then once you really get to talk to them and realize okay this guy's really speaking the same language as i do this is totally going to work you know and kind of getting that element to it too Or even be able to refer to somebody else. And, yeah, and also that, you know, spreading to those, you know, everybody else around or maybe the ones that maybe can't make it to the event. But, yo, I know a guy, you know, and he can't be here. Oh, yeah. But you should see his stuff. So or her stuff. But that's the thing that I think is really cool about that, as opposed to just a simple, hey, you know, let's put my resume up on, you know, Comic Con Indeed, you know, <laughs> 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 and try and find a guy that way. You know, it's uh, those events are always really uh, amazing and as someone who's been able you know to attend a few of those I met incredible people that I wouldn't have met otherwise outside of that event, which is really cool. So, um, including one of my professors one day. So that was really, <laughs> that was really fun.
2: <laughs> and, and things like that really happened. Like I, I, like I said, Adrian talked a little while ago about the adventure comic that I do, which is called major Holmes and captain Watson. The artist who did the cover for the first issue of that book is the original artist that I pitched the story to at one of these, uh, convention panels and he passed on it. He's like, this is cool, but I've done a whole bunch of that and I'm not interested in doing a whole bunch more of that. Um, that said, I know a guy, and <laughs> we, we had so much fun talking and hanging out, get to know each other. And he and I are working on other projects together, but his portfolio was full of a lot of the thing that I wanted to do the, and, and a lot of the kinds of stories that I was, that I was telling. And he was looking to stretch and grow and do something different. And he's like, I dig your energy. We should make something, but I don't want to make yet another thing that I've already done. Let me introduce you to a guy who has a similar style and who would be able to pull this off. And he connected me via me email to Carlos, and Carlos and I made major homes. And, um, I mean, we had the whole book made before I'd ever laid eyes on the guy because he lives in the other side of the country. But I never would have met him had it not been for one of these events because, like I said, it was it was a connection through a connection and not – a direct mm-hmm. meetup. So th- those are super valuable too.
0: Absolutely. And I think we've even had um people coming from out- even outside the country and have the opportunity to meet at those events, which is even harder to do. So that's really amazing. And that's why I love the work that Creator After Khan does. And and I can only really wish the best for the network, that it continues to grow the way it has. And because uh, there's a lot of good talent out there and we just got to get them together. That's a lot of stories to tell which
2: is probably where I should mention that we recently have an actual web presence for the Creator AfterCon network now. <laughs> uh, you guys helped me sort of get my history and gear on this. Um, and and I did some work with Jay Barker too, and we talked about it. But the Creator AfterCon network exists on the internet now at creatoraftercon.net. We got an old .net address for the uh, for the whole networking thing because we're invested in networking. And uh, we built a site. There's a little bit of content there, including information about... The upcoming events at New York Comic Con, which is going to go up probably today, and there will be more information there in the future about how to meet other creators to make comics with, because that's the point. That was really more Eileen than anybody else. She did. She pushed us. She said, "Hey guys, get it together.
0: You need like to said, do you this. You need that kick in the ass." <laughs> <laughs> we just needed a kick in the ass. Um, well, I'm the logistic girl, and I really believe in the Creator AfterCon network. And you know, you guys work so hard, and I wanted to see you guys kind of grow from there and really expand. And this was kind of the ne- the next logical step. So I'm glad that um you know m- my little idea actually blossomed into something tangible, and I can't wait to see where it goes. You know, and I'm so proud of all of you. It's a network. It's a group effort. It's a thing. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time out. I really do appreciate it. And, well, hopefully it won't be too much longer before we talk to you again. But before you do go, obviously, let everybody know where they can find more about your work. So any social networking sites or if you want to throw out even more of the comic titles again, feel free to do so.
2: Yeah, you can find all of my stuff at cloudwranglercomics.com. That's me. I am at CloudWrangler on Twitter. If you search for Cloud Wrangler Comics on Comicsology as well, you can find titles there. Gravity Matters, which is sci-fi, Bin Bit, which is a horror western, uh, the crime noir uh, Demon versus Ten Angels just went up there this week, and the action period piece Major Holmes and Captain Watson are all on Comixology. There are a couple of new things coming soon, including full colors of the Jetpack Guy comic, which is available at Comics on cloud Run Comics right now in black and white, but there's a color version coming very soon with the colors who's worked on things you might have heard of like Adventure Time. Uh-huh. Yeah, Interesting. Uh, there's going to be really cool looking comics very soon and uh, yeah, other an, at least one more secret project before the end of the year that I will be back and we'll talk about that later. Awesome. Very
1: much so. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to talk more about that at some point. Because, <laughs> oh, gosh, I was almost like, tell me more. But I'm like, wait, you cannot do that.
0: <laughs> well,
1: before I put my foot in my mouth one more time, uh, that'll be it for this episode of Adrian Adrian's Issues. I'm Adrian. I'm Eileen. <laughs> we'll see you next issue.